Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. Okay, if, we, if you want to get started. Okay. Now, don't worry, I won't keep you that long, because since there are quite a few people out sick, I don't want to get it spread to anybody, so we won't do that. So I will try to get us out of here at, in... 11 o'clock, according to Brother. <laughs> you can thank him. He made the suggestion. <laughs> no, I won't do that. I won't do that. <laughs> you, you can do that. You have my, you have my blessing. Yep. And I just want to take. <laughs> I, I want to th- uh, thank uh, Brother Rice for allowing me the opportunity to speak tonight. And, th- and I thank her, too. <laughs> thank you. Yes, I would like to thank you all for being here. I also would like to thank Brother Rise for allowing me this opportunity. And I'm going to go over one something uh, tonight that basically we all should know it deals with holiness, but it's more specifically it's one thing that we know we, we know we know, but just to clear matters up, and it's on alcohol for the and what does the scripture say about alcohol? Because it is a very important issue. And today, in today's society, you have some Christians that are for, that say, oh, we can, we can drink it in moderation. Well, doesn't the Bible say about wine? Does, didn't Jesus drink wine? And, yep, yep, exactly. Yep, and what we will do is we will be going over it. And if you have any questions, uh, we will have to go through this real quick. If you have any questions, feel free to ask afterwards uh, to where I can answer them more fully. Uh, so for now, uh, we'll have to get into the lesson. And I've aptly named this Blame It on the Alcohol, <laughs> we'll be, which is the title of this lesson, Blame It on the Alcohol. And so I would like to start off, a few, first off, this is what Jesus said. He says, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with fighting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Luke 21:34, And Le- Leviticus, and this, he's going by an Old Testament example. He knew the law. They knew the law. And Leviticus, the priests, were commanded this, Do not drink wine. Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. And it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. That's Leviticus 10.9. But then you have this one thing. This is cause, can cause confusion because it can condemn it there. And then in other places it feels like, it seems like it approves it because Deuteronomy. 14.23, and thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. Now, we just read it, that it condemned it. Jesus said, do not be drunk. And, also, and it says, do not be, and they also said in the Vegas, do not drink wine or strong drink, and that was to the priest. But why would it say that? And that's where people can be confused, because there are places in the scripture where it seems like it approves it, and there's others where it condemns it. 
And the one specific reason for that is this. And as Sister Mars pointed out, there is one thing that we, in Proverbs, it says, do not look upon the wine when it is red. So you can see where there could be an inconsistency. And that's where we're going to clear up. It does say in Proverbs, do not look upon the wine when it is red, because it's a mocker. And there, that one word, when, is the key. Because wine will ferment, but it says don't look on it when it's red. It says do not do it, drink it when it's red, talking about fermented wine. Made a very specific definition. Do not look, do not drink strong wine, or do not drink fermented wine. So there was a time, because they did have to drink this, sometimes when the water was bad. Sure, they had wells, but they would also use this as a beverage. But they would make sure that it was unfermented. Because just because it says wine, it's a general term. And the reason for this is the, the Hebrew word for it is yayin. W-I-N, and I won't continue to pronounce that anymore. But that's actually, it's a general term. What you don't realize, it can refer to the grape. It can refer to the whole process from the grape itself all the way to the time when it could be fermented. It can refer to both unfermented and fermented wine. It depends on the context, though, to know what it's talking about. Because just because it says wine does not mean fermented. We have taken that today to mean fermented, because you live in that society. We live in the society. Now, in the time when the King James was written, you have to remember that is early modern English. And words meant different things during that time when they wrote it. For example, to make it clear for you, it says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed. Now, what does the word study mean to us today? Anyone? We think of it like study a book, study a book. Well, back in the time of King James, that word did not mean study a book. What it meant was be diligent. So whenever it says it, it says, whenever it says study to show yourself approved unto God, what it's saying is be diligent to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. And you know why? Because whenever Paul wrote that originally, how many people do you think could read and write? Not many. It's very few. So what they would have to do is they'd have to read that letter to the audience. There would be one person who'd have to read that letter to the audience who was listening, because not everybody could read it. So how could all these people study it if they didn't have the ability to? What it meant was be diligent to be a worker, to show yourself approved unto God for your works, be, uh, not necessarily by your works, but to uh, be approved of God, because God wants you to be holy. He wants you to follow after righteousness. That's what it means, a workman that needs not be ashamed. And that's really what it means. So that the word quick if you don't know, it can be misleading if, if you don't know the context, because the word changed meanings. It's the same thing with wine. When the word wine was used at the time of the writing of the King James, it, di it did not mean solely fermented. It could mean both unfermented and fermented, the whole range. It's just now... 300 or 400 years later, the meaning has become something just exclusively one thing. But we cannot let that look back. We cannot use our terms and read them back into the old terms. Because you have to say, what was the original meaning? 
And that's why that can clear something up, because whenever it says wine in the Bible, you have to think, okay, what is the context? And what was the original meaning? Because, for example, there are three categories. There's those where it's mentioned, but neither condemned nor approved. There's others where it's identified as a source of misery that is not to be touched, that causes trouble and pain, and it's an emblem of the wrath of God. And there's also one where it's mixed with blessings, like what I just read. He says, you know, when you bring in your corn and your wine and your oil, it's mixed with blessings. And so there are several references to that. Unless you know, you can misread it. So I can tell you right now, there's three different words. The one, first one I've already been over. The second one is actually one that's ca- that is called yayin. Uh, no, not that one. It is tirosh, Hebrew term tirosh. It's translated new wine or wine 41 times in scripture. And what that is, means is it always means unfermented. That always refers to an unfermented beverage. It never refers to a fermented beverage that is condemned. And, we ne- and so you can, anytime the word yayin, it can be used to mean fermented or unfermented. But most of the time, whenever the word yayin is used, it is condemned. In m- almost every instance where it does, it is condemned as evil and not to be used. Because what we know is drinking produces no good results. Because as Solomon said, because if you do drink it, he says that they tarry long at the wine, that they go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thy heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, that shall be, be as he that lieth down upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake, and I will seek it yet again? Because, whether we like, to, like or not, alcohol is a drug. Yeah. That's basically what it is. It is a drug. Yeah. And it will, it will make you lose control yeah. of what you do. And that is where the problem is. God does not want you to be under the influence of something to where you will not have control of your abilities. Because this is a sinful body. It wants to do what it wants to do. And the problem is, if you give it the chance, it will do it. It will do it. And that's why you do not want to do it. And that's why God says, do not, I do not want you to be drunk, because you will sin. Because most people will say, I remember whenever I was in school, high school, there was one of my teachers health teachers, they told us the story. There was a woman who was a former alcoholic, and she had uh, taught several of these classes, uh, and he was just going by reference. And he said she had heard several people that had been in prison, had done things, and because of what they did while they were drunk. And, this, and one of them, and she said, I heard this several times. They said, you know, I didn't mean to do that. I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't mean to do that. And she said, no, you wanted to do it. No, you, you wanted to do it. Alcohol just gave you the nerve. It just gave you the nerve to do it. You wanted to do it, but alcohol is the one thing that just lowered your inhibitions and gave you the will and the nerve to do it. Conscience. That's why we don't do it. You will lose control. 
you will lose control. You can't handle it. And for one, the, and for example, you'll say things you never would say under the influence. Like for example, Winston Churchill, one time he was coming back to his hotel after he was had been drinking, and I think his neighbor, uh, this woman, saw him and she said said to him, "Mr. Churchill, you're drunk." And he said, and he just looked there. He says, "And you, madam, are ugly." <laughs> <laughs> and and he and and he and he finished it by and he finished it by saying, but the only difference is tomorrow I will be sober and you will still be ugly. <laughs> yes, and again he was drunk. So would he have probably have said that if he wasn't? Most likely he probably would because that's just the kind of guy he was. But still, he. <laughs> yes, but still, it just shows you you will say things and there's no filter. Then I guess some, some, there's some people that don't need alcohol to not have a filter. <laughs> but, but I can be honest about that too. It is very true. We know some people like those. But yes, it, and that's why you have to bite your tongue though. The tongue is the one thing that we have to control. Just because we think it does not mean we should say it. There are some things that will not bring glory to God. And there are some things you say that will damage relationships. And so, that, and so that's the other thing. You have to know that even though you want to say it, God says no. Because that's the, the flesh wants to do it. The flesh wants to bite. And the flesh wants to do that, but God says no. God says no. And that's why you, what will happen when you're intoxicated. And so Isaiah says the same thing. Woe to them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night to wine and flames them. Isaiah 5.11. But they also have erred through wine, and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. All this. It's an addictive, because alcohol in and of itself is addictive. It's an addictive substance, which is why most people will say, well, drink responsibly. That's why they put that on all the cartons. The problem is no doctor will trust you. People will say, oh, it's healthy for you. Well, no doctor will prescribe something that they know is inherently bad and addictive in moderation when they know the excess is not good. That's why what those, these alcohol companies will do is they'll put that on there because they say, please drink responsibly because it takes all liability off them. It's all liability. Will you probably do it? No, because once you take the first drink, you, it's not a matter of, oh, I won't get drunk. You, the, you're drunk by the first drink. It's just a matter of degree after that. It will happen. And what sh we have to remember is, even though it says in the Bible where there is wine, and we think it's approved, you have to remember that there's two different types. So, for example, you could say Timothy. Whenever Paul said to Timothy, he says, you know, take a little wine for your stomach and, and for that. Take a little wine for your stomach, for thy stomach's sake. Well, here's where that just doesn't make sense. Some people will say, well, that, that means we can drink it, right? Well, okay, for those of you who know people that have the stomach flu right now, would you want to get, what's the first thing you would want to give them? Is that what you'd want to give them? Would that help? Just to, state, just to state the obvious, do you think a strong drink would help? I'm, I'm serious, would, it be, would that be the first thing you would give them? 
No. Of course not. That's, that'd make you sick. Because that's not what it's really recommending. You have to remember back then, their wine that he's recommending was a, like a syrup because it was for medicinal things. It's, it was basically like a syrup today. So whenever he was doing it, he was recommending a medical thing for it. Because why would he say that to him and then earlier say a, a, a deacon or a, pre, or a pastor is not to be given to much wine? Yeah. That's, that would be a contradiction of sorts. And so really, it doesn't really make sense because it says not given to much wine is actually, believe it or not, an idiom in that time. It does, some people say, oh, it just means not given to much wine. We, we, we can still do it, right? No, well, no, that's not what the idiom means. In that time, whenever he's saying that, do not go near it. If you want to be literal about it, that's what it literally means. It says, don't go near it. Don't be near it. You're not supposed to be given to wine. You're not supposed to uh, be near it. Because if you do, what does that show about you? You are to be sober. You are to be vigilant. And that word vigilant is from a word that means abstinence. has the same meaning. You are to be sober. You are to be vigilant. You are to be in your control. Because... Do not let down your guard, because the devil will play on it. You let down your guard, it will happen to you. And that is why you, have, you just have to be careful. You can't use any excuse. We can't use any excuse. Because there was two kinds, and each was called wine. One was refreshing, unfermented. The other one was biting. And that's why they have those two. And there's another word also that doesn't refer to grape wine but refers to something else, and that's where it's translated strong drink, and that's called shikar in Hebrew. And it actually signifies sweet drink, and what this refers to is fruits other than grape juice, because they didn't just use grapes for fermenting. They would use dates, they would use um, palm wine, palm sap, more specifically. And what they did was, they would ta- it was kind of like our maple syrup, what we get from maple trees or cider, and it was sweet. It also could refer to sugar, a sugary substance, because the word shikar, believe it or not, is where we think we get our word sugar, shikar. And like it, in Spanish, it's azucar. And several different languages have almost the same exact phrase or word for sugar, and we think we get it from these words. And what we do know is that for strong drink, it's referring to palm, something from the palm. And it, in its original state, it wasn't fermented. Because what we know is they would take this palm, and it could be used for sugar, you could store it, you could, um, and you could use it. You could make it into what was called palm wine, but the problem is, by that midnight, after you harvested it and it was fermented, it would go sour and turn into vinegar. And for one reason, most people think, oh, this means beer, this means whiskey, this means this, this, this. Well, no, because of a few specific reasons. You know, did they have distillation back then? And you know what distillation is. uh, Distillation, think of moonshine. They have a still. What the still does is it basically removes any of of the water content that is still left in there, and it makes it more potent. It makes the alcohol more potent. That's why, for example, distilled beverages today it's after fermentation. It just removes whatever is diluting it still. So, for example, the things we have today that are diluted 
are between 30 and 75% alcohol. Hard liquors, those are hard liquors. Back then, the, the problem is distillation wasn't really discovered and perfected until the 9th century, like 1080, by the Muslims, of all people. <laughs> I kid you not, they actually did. They were the ones that, uh, the first guy who discovered it is considered the father of modern chemistry. Of chem and he actually, when he distilled it, he called it uh, alcohol. That's where we get the term alcohol, because it's an it's Arabic word. And what we know is that it, I know it's of all places, it, they started it. But that was a thousand years after Jesus, and more than 1,500 years probably after the Israelites. They didn't know how to, to have that. They couldn't have made stuff that strong. So whenever we see strong drink, we are looking at it from our lens. We think, oh, that's referring to, whenever we think of strong drink, we think of beer, we think of whiskey, we think of vodka, we think of all this with a high alcohol content that's, basic, that's distilled. The problem is they did not have that. And even more, the word strong is really nowhere in the Hebrew word that that's translated from. That's really what throws people off, is that it's really nowhere near what that means. It just means sweet, sweet drink. And we also know because the alcohol content, the here's how the wine would work. Whenever the, they would pull in, the, get in the grapes, and they would stomp them in the wine press, that was fresh. It was not fermented. Even though the fermentation process would start right then, the yeast is what would have to ferment it. What the yeast does, it's a, little, it's a bacteria, it's a little bacteria. And what it does is, in the vat, it will eat the sugar and break it down. So say if you have 30% sugar, 70% water, it's going to go after the sugar. And when it breaks it down, half of that is going to be carbon dioxide, which is why it bubbles. That's why it says when it moves itself, it rides. That's what the author is referring to, because whenever it releases that, it bubbles, and they, and it will, they say, oh, it moves itself aright. That's what it's referring to. When it does that, half of it will be carbon dioxide. The other half will be alcohol. And whenever it does that, it's two parts, it will basically make it two parts uh, carbon dioxide or two parts water for every one sugar. So it'll basically cut it in half. So if you have 30% sugar, it's going to get it. It's going to get about 14 to 15% alcohol out of it. Is what it's going to break it down into, because that's what it'll do. It has to release some energy. You learn in chemistry, and what will happen is once it gets ha uh, the only reason it stops is because the alcohol in the solution kills the bacteria. It stops it. It poisons it basically. Unless now, so that just means one thing. All they could naturally get was a, something that was 14 to 15% alcohol. And on rare occasions, and this was only rare, they would get a really, really tough strand of yeast that could make it to 16%. But even then, we'd kill it, because it's poisonous. And even today, if you have places that make these in confined quarters, if they go in, they, you have to be careful, because if you breathe in too much of the carbon dioxide, it will kill you. And that's what it releases. So why would you want to drink something that kills the very stuff that makes it? Because, it's it, because that's what it does. So in, after this, that's if they left it to ferment. 
That's what causes the fermentation. It breaks it down. Then, but just to make sure, that's if you left it to do that, if you drank it when you knew it was going to happen. They would know. They would know. That's why God said you do not, when you're doing the services, you don't do any of it. You don't drink any of this while you're in that sanctuary. I will not have it. You will not have it. It is forbidden. And because yeast was leaven. So here's where you also have to know. The reason I'm telling you that is because of this. In the New Testament, when they're celebrating the Passover, most people think, well, Jesus, he, he made the water into wine, didn't he? Well, wasn't that fermented? Well, no. It was fresh. He made it fresh. Even though it says wine, remember, the term is general. It can refer to both unfermented or fermented. You have to look at the context. He made it right then and there. And you know how I read in the beginning of this lesson that Jesus he said, do not be careful lest you be carried away with surfighting and with drunkenness. Now, if he really did that, here's the other problem. God does not tempt you to sin. Let no man say when he is tempted that he's tempted God, because God cannot tempt you to sin. You are tempted when you're drawn away of your own lusts. So why would Jesus condemn it, but then hold it out right in front of you to tempt them? He wouldn't, because that would go against what he was trying to do. He, if he says, I do not want you to get drunk, I'm not gonna hold, he's not going to hold something out in front of you and tempt you with it. Because that that's against his nature. He will not do that. He would not even offer it to you as a contradiction. Also, you have to remember it. Whenever he's talking about the Last Supper, what he doesn't call it wine, but you don't, you don't realize. He's, he calls it the fruit of the vine. And what we know is, we think that was intentional by the writer. Because what they would do is, as I said, yeast was what causes the fermentation. The Passover, you had to have unleavened bread, right? Yeah. Unleavened bread was with, uh, you couldn't have yeast in it. Because by that point, they used yeast and leaven, or the word leaven as a sign of corruption. It was a symbolic with corruption. Right. So Jesus, like whenever he said be, to his disciples one time, he said, beware, in Matthew 16, 6, he said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they thought they were talking about bread. They said, oh wait, it's because we didn't take any bread? What, 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 why did we forget that? He says, no. Oh, you have little faith. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What he's saying is beware of their corruption. Beware of their corruption of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, so that's synonymous. So if the leavened bread, if the bread wasn't leavened, it didn't have yeast, by implication, you wouldn't have any fermentation in the drinks. They would have been smart enough to know that. You don't have it because if you don't have one, you don't have the other. You just don't. It goes against everything. It was not required. It, they would have been horrified because of it would be sacrilegious. You do not have a thing of corruption at the Passover, at the feast. Because he's, and he said, it was in, the blood of Christ is incorruptible. He says, take, drink, this is my bite. Do this in remembrance of me. Why would he do that? Second of all, in like for example, even with how we do communion, 
That is why they used that same principle. They would not have used fermented wine, even at the Lord's Supper that they practiced, because it wouldn't have gone with the Passover. They would have copied exactly what they did. They would not have used the leavened bread or the fermented wine. It just would not match with what they were doing. And with that, you just have to, it just doesn't make sense. There's so many holes once you go through with it. And what we have to remember is it will get to you. So people in that day, even if it was fermented, people will use this, well, what, what if it was strong, they'd water it down. It was a Greek custom. The Greeks would water it down if it was too alcoholic. If it was, yeah, they did. They, they still looked down on it to a point, even though they had their problems, like everybody. <laughs> because also you have to remember people say, well, sure they had it, but they had it back then. Well, here's the other problem. It's not apples to apples. Because what you have to remember today, we can mass produce hard liquor. We have people that mass produce it and are trying to sell it to us 24 hours a day. You can go to Walmart, you can go to a gas station, you can get it anywhere. That's where the difference is. That we have it mass produced and advertised to us, trying to get us to get the vice. And they did not have that. And so, one, it's stronger. Two, it's more abundant than back then. So does that two wrongs don't make a right that still doesn't justify it? It just will not do, because it is a vice. And so it's more like apples and oranges, not apples and apples. Those are the two things. So just because it's more abundant does not mean we should drink it. So, and as I said, distilled beverages, I've already gone through most of this, so I'm almost done. So, if, because, it, and I could read more, but I won't go through that. So basically, I'll get to the chase. Since drunkenness is a sin, even moderate drinking will affect your brain and body. It's going to do it. It, will, it hurts the liver. It, it'll go to your brain. It will cause you to do things you didn't imagine. Because the reason, now it is not the most harmful to an individual. I'm going to be honest about that. It, it is not the most harm, harmful drug to the individual. But what it is, believe it or not, is the most harmful drug to society. Yeah. That's what actually makes it very dangerous. It, there's a guy who was the former head of the health department, basically, in Britain. And he was his name was David Nutt. And he actually, I re heard an interview of, he did, and he was interviewed, and he says, now he's, he's liberal, to be honest, but he said, that is the one thing I found. We did this study, and we used nine factors starting out for individuals. And then these people brought six others for it. So all he said, when we got done, we had 16 factors. And nine for individual, and the rest were society. What we found was alcohol was the one thing that was most harmful to society. It's the abuse will cause, well, it's the domestic abuse it causes, it's the personal abuse, it's the hospital bills, the, the crashes, the drunk driving, all of that combined makes it the most harmful to society. He said that's what makes it potent and dangerous. It's not necessarily the what it does to the individual, and, it, and that is bad. It's what it does to society. I'm sure each one of you can probably name somebody you know, uh, either a family member or a relative that has abused alcohol, and you've seen what it's done to their family. Because it does it. it. It will ruin you if you let it. 
Because people will say, well, God, made, God wouldn't have made this if it didn't have a reason. God, God wouldn't have made this if it didn't have a purpose. Well, yeah, God may have made uh, that grape, but we made the alcohol. He may have made that tobacco plant, but we made the cigarette. He may have made that, ni- that marijuana plant, we made the joint. He ma- we made it into something that it was never intended for to be used. That is the difference. Even, sure, God does make stuff that we make into medicine, but a lot of stuff is also not good for us. We just make excuses for it. So just because God put it on this earth does not mean that what we make it into is for his purposes. There is the big difference. That's the dividing line. Because if you don't, you have to know, know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If you aren't in your right state, you are not, you are under, you are a slave to something else. And that's what addiction does. It makes you a slave to what you're addicted to. And that is not of God. Because Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. All things are lawful for me. I won't be brought under the power of any. Not all things are edifying. So even though Jesus would uh, use it, you have to remember, it's not fermented wine. They would not use it. They would not endorse it. And for for what we have, I've already gone through this. I've already gone through this. And to get back to one last thing, whenever it speaks about it in terms of blessing, because you will read this in the Old Testament a lot more than in the New, whenever it talks about, you know, when you bring in your corn and your wine and your oil. Whenever it says wine, it is not, again, it's a general term. It can refer to the grape all the way to the end. Whenever it's referring to that, it's referring to the grape. Because do you bring in wine that's from what you just harvested right off the bat? No. Do you bring in oil from the the olives you just harvested? Same thing, it's referring to a general term. It's referring to the olives and the grapes. And that's when it, what it celebrates. It does not celebrate the end product. It refers to what they would bring in. That's why it would say in Deuteronomy 26, 14, 26, And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen and for sheep, or for wine, yayin, which is that uh, general term, or for strong drink, which is shikar, which means a sugary thing, uh, just the plain sap of, the ma- of a maple or a palm tree. Or for whatsoever thy soul desireth, and thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice, rejoice thou and thy household. So whenever it refers to this, it does not refer to the drink wine, it refers to the grape and the sugar that you would bring in. It does not refer to the al- uh, to a alcohol beverage or a beverage in general. It refers to the grapes that you brought in for the harvest because when it's talking about this, it's talking about the tithes of the land. It's referring about the first fruits of the land. He says, whenever you do that, you bring those in first, wherever I tell you to. So whenever we go through that, you ha- it's... There's one last thing I would like to say. It, another thing is Habakkuk 2.15. Some words also, if you don't know, they can be mi- misleading. 
because some people will use this to, uh, in Habakkuk 2.15. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunk also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Now the word bottle there, that's one thing that is the one word that a lot of people, a lot of Hebrew scholars think was mistranslated because that word bottle is actually the word behind it means poison or venom. It says, do not, he says, woe to him that gives his neighbor, that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy poison to him and makest him drunken also. That is what alcohol is. It is a poison. It, more specifically, it's called acetaldehyde. And when it gets into your liver, what, believe it or not, it has, your liver has to break it down since it is toxic and it takes a, a long time to do it, which is why if you keep hitting your liver with that, it overwhelms it. And why, that's why people, their liver, if you hit it enough times with over a lifetime, it shuts down because it can't take it anymore. You're abusing your body. This body is a temple. Yes. This body is a temple. You are not to abuse this body. We do, we do not, whether in what you eat or you drink. That's why, even though it doesn't say anything about cigarettes, we don't smoke cigarettes. That's why, even though it doesn't say anything about LSD in the Bible, we don't do LSD. It's the principle of the thing. It's the principle of the thing. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving. <laughs> hey, it may have been put on this earth, but that doesn't mean that's what we should use it for. <laughs> so, in view of these facts, we have to realize that Jesus did not drink or create a strong intoxicating beverage because God had warned us of the evils of alcohol. And he didn't set a bad example for us. He wouldn't say one thing and do another. He, the God who condemned drunkenness as sin, he cannot tempt a man to sin by providing an opportunity for him to get drunk. He won't do that. That's not his nature. And for all that, we have, so most people will say, well, let's do moderation. Let's do this in moderation. Well, the Bible gives more space to the dangers of wine than the benefits. And the, al the other problem is also, let's face it, moderation is the first step towards immoderation. Right. It is. It, moderation is the first step toward immoderation. You give an inch, it'll take a mile. Yes. So for all that, we cannot do that. And so if we don't drink, guess what? We don't have to worry about that. We won't worry ha have to worry about temptation. We won't worry have to worry because once you cut it out of the equation entirely, you won't have to worry about getting drunk. You won't have to worry about getting addicted. You won't have to worry about any of this because you don't have to concern yourself with it. Why should you put an extra weight on yourself? We, we shouldn't. So we ha have to make sure that we don't fall into this trap. So in conclusion, we have to do what God requires of us, both for our physical and our spiritual nature. Because if you're not in control spiritually, you will, you will still be held accountable. We all will be held accountable because we cannot allow that. So in the ending, I will say this. Most people, and this will be my last fact. I, I, I seriously mean that. I seriously, <laughs> I seriously mean that. Uh, mo for those of you who think red wine is good, uh, you will hear, oh, red wine is good. 
back in 1991, that was whenever wine sales jumped 40% and stayed there since because of one thing on 60 Minutes, a 60-minute interview, Morley Schaefer. And in it, he interviewed a guy who, he, who coined the term the French paradox because he thought, well, in France, they drink more wine and they have less heart disease. And he knows that in Canada, too. And then he, tried, he said, well, wait a minute, we don't do that and we die more from heart disease. And so he actually, in this interview, we look back now and we see these figures as outrageous because he said that it reduced cancer rates by 50%, which is very outlandish even today. It does, it, it's preposterous they could do that. It's just not feasible. Well, that same year, France actually, France place that actually they drink a lot and they have less heart disease, they passed a law called Evans Law that prohibits you from it actually bans what the showing of alcohol in TV, movies, ads, and it limits what it could do in print. It, in that same year that that study came out, in that 60 Minutes interview in 1991, because what was happening was, what the st he wasn't looking at the right statistics. Yes, they die less from heart disease, but the rates, no, no, not necessarily. The drunk driving accidents were through the roof. Out of a country of 50 or uh, 67 million, they had 50,000 a year, which is about one in every 1,300 in that country. Here, out of, say, 327 million, we have an average of 88,000 a year, which is one in 3,600. So our drunk driving rates uh, or fatalities are actually lower than theirs, were lower than theirs, which is why they passed that law, because it was such a problem. Sure, they weren't dying from heart disease. They were dying from drunk driving, because they, <laughs> they weren't, they weren't living, exactly, they didn't live long enough to have heart, heart disease. <laughs> so it shows you that even though it m may seem, and people may say, well, it's healthier, well, guess what, you're not looking at the right statistic. It's always a hard one to say, but it shows you that even though it may seem, seem good, people will try to sell it on one thing, you have to look at the effects. What are the implications? Because the implications are not good. We've been warned already. So for that, I close with this. We should not drink this. It won't, we cannot use it in moderation. You cannot use any addictive su substance in moderation. It's an oxymoron. You can't use something in an addictive substance in moderation. It is either an addiction or it's not. And as God has told us, he does not want us to do this for our personal safety, for the sake of others who, who struggle with it, for ourselves. Because I do not want to stand before God and say, I caused somebody to stumble because of this. Whatever you do, in, whatever you do, in, in, you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Yes. That is the principle we should follow. Not out of selfishness, out of love. Yes. Out of love. And with that, I close. We're done. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.